Hello, welcome to Gale Boys, the podcast you've come to listen to. This is a somewhat special one because this is our technically like one year anniversary. Yes, we've been doing this for a whole year and um, I don't know how to feel about that to be honest. <laughs> it's also our uh, premature 9-11 episode. Um, uh, as I've said, as, a, as we're introing, I'm Liam and this is Jordan as usual. Uh, but we've got a lot of show to get to, so let's get right into it. We'll do it live! Fuck it! So, Donald Trump officially has been... The mugshot has been taken. Uh, it's all over the fucking internet, and I don't even know how to feel about it personally. After seeing, like, endless sort of, like, AI-generated uh, Trump mugshots, it's weird seeing, like, a real one. Because he's doing like this weird um, Andrew Tate scroll. Yeah. I, I I think what it gets me is if you look at the the mugshot, his eyes look red and puffy, as 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 if he's been crying almost before they took the picture. Yeah, he's just been weeping for like hours on end. That or he, he has to uh, compose himself. Yeah. That or he's been smoking a shitload of Georgia weed. One of the two. He's on something. And uh, he's yeah. he's he looks not... like the fucking uh, trying uh, Brendan Fraser meme. They just uh, they just fucked me up meme. <laughs> There's so many memes of that. I'm sure, I'm sure someone's made a meme of of that because that's one of the best parts about a a Donald Trump mugshot is the amount of memes that have come out are just fucking beautiful. So good. The mugshot is uh, very good, but my favourite part of it is when you go to get your fucking uh, mugshot done, you get your fingerprints and uh, you get weighed as well. And according to the report, his weight is something like, what is it, 250? 215. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. I, I refuse to believe that. No. Like, that... I don't know who he bribed behind the scenes to fucking get away with that, but yeah, that's bullshit. I'm I, sorry. I know, um, I know there was a bunch of sites that were taking bets about how fat he actually was, and the one that I was... <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. You went out, there were sites that were taking bets, like it's the fucking Super Bowl. The one that I thought was the most likely is 289. That seemed like the most... Because unless... At, at 215, unless it's... He has no body muscle. It's all fat. Then I'll buy it. I don't believe for a second this man's 215. Absolutely not. No, he's like the fucking, um, he's like the opposite of the kingpin from Daredevil. The kingpin's like all muscle, zero fat. Donald Trump is like all fat. You fucking punch into him and your like hand starts getting absorbed by all the fucking, all those years of McDonald's he's been just, fucking just, downing. He's like Clayface, just to go to comic book books. <laughs> yeah. All that, that, that's just wet, disgusting orange shit just... He does look uh, very melty in that mugshot, very, um... Yeah. He's been looking like that for a while, um, and yeah. he's... Uh, the other great follow-up to that is he's been on a roll. I don't know if you saw this, but on Truth Social, he posted 31 fucking videos, basically airing out his grievances. He thinks uh, Joe Biden is leading us into darkness. He brought out the wrong DeSanctimonious insult again, which was never gets all. 31 tweets a day. The boy's uh, definitely uh, on a roll. And yeah. that's on. And that he's back on Twitter now, which is uh, very interesting. Yeah, he posted fucking. Uh, he posted some like hood mugshot meme, which of his uh, cargo cult and crazy war. My favorite part of that mugshot was because um, there's been a bunch of people trying to spin it. I can't remember. I think it was some guy on Fox News. He basically said. 
well, Donald Trump with his mugshot will definitely get the black vote, which is, uh-huh, that's yeah. the most, like, not even coded. That's just straight-up racist shit. Blacks love crime, right? Surely they'll love uh, Donald Trump. I mean, all, all those NFL players get arrested, so obviously Donald Trump's like it. I, I would love, though, he's been arrested as many times as an NFL linebacker, so I'm wondering if Dallas or Vegas will sign him this year. You know, the most fucked-up thing about that arrest was uh, for Trump was he went to a bail bondsman in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a self-made billionaire... Why the fuck are you going to a bail bondsman? You could probably... It's only a 200000 bond, and you don't have to pay all of it. Unless... I love to imagine, though, what he's going to do is he's going to fuck this guy over. This guy's a sycophant. He's like, I get to pay the president's bond, and then he's going to stiff the bill on him like a fucking yeah. restauranter. Well, uh, one of the things that uh, Trump is... I don't know if it's a criminal charge. I think it might be. But um, his, like, overinflated net worth... Like in the fucking 80s and 90s, he was claiming to be worth like $2 billion, and that just wasn't true. He, he has the definition of a fake billionaire. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he'll he just like phone up fucking uh, Forbes and be like, yeah, I've got a, I got a billion dollars in the bank. Yeah. yeah. Don't check, but yeah, just take my word for it. I've... And now he's like, I'm, I'm convinced he like, does not have any fucking money. No. Like, Whenever he has to buy something, someone else has to, an aide has to fucking pay for it. He buys on credit and he's running up that card until it gets cancelled. Yeah. That's what he's doing. And I'll put it like this. I knew, I knew he wasn't rich back then because why would a rich, rich man be doing McDonald's commercials with Grimace? I put together some really impressive deals. But this thing you've pulled off, it's amazing. A big and tasty for just a dollar? How do you do it? What's your secret? Together, Grimace, we could own this town. That fucking ad yeah. is amazing. If you've not, if, you, if you're a fucking billionaire, you're not doing piece of hot commercials. That uh, fucking those ads are insane because um, <laughs> the, the Pizza Hut one is the one with his uh, his recently departed wife. Not Melania, yeah, this is his other wife. And there's this one... He's uh, buried in one of his fucking golf courses. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that because... I guarantee you he's told the groundskeeper not to fucking trim the hedges on that gravestone. Let the earth reclaim it, like one of those old Discovery Channel documentaries about what if people went missing. But those fucking, like, old Nazi bunkers that's just been fucking consumed by jungle, that's a, that's a banker's gravestone. But, uh, but, the, golf yeah. as well. but for those who don't know, go watch the fucking, like, ads he did in the 90s where... He's talking to Grimace. He's like a big and tasty for just a. How do you My do? My good friend Grimace. I'm having uh, I'm having the best years of Grimace. Yeah. Uh, we, you and I, Grimace, we're gonna go places. <laughs> God damn. This big fucking. <laughs> yeah. say, say whatever you want about fucking Elon Musk. He would never do that. No, he would. He doesn't. He doesn't have to do that. He, he also doesn't have the sense of humor. I'll say this. there was a period Donald yeah. Trump was pretty. Like, there's a great, the Pizza Hut one's hilarious, because this is like his wife and him are going through a divorce. Can I have another slice? He's like, well, actually, you're entitled to half. Do you really think this is the right thing for us to be doing, Ivana? What do people think? Let them talk. Ivana. 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 It's wrong, isn't it? But it feels so right. Then it's a deal? Yes, we eat our pizza the wrong way. Crust first. Can I have the last slice? Actually... You're only entitled to half. Because, you know, we're getting divorced, and that's how it usually fucking works. Oh, fucking Elon. Yeah. What would Elon Musk do an ad for if he were forced to do an uh, ad? What would he do? 
You know those uh, gold adverts, some like guy from an 80s movie drama would be like, hey, buy, um, buy gold or something, and it's like fucking, uh, what is it, gold coins? Yeah. Fucking, you know, like gold coins oh, from co- like... the commemorative shit, coins, right? Yeah, fucking, um, I saw one of those recently. Oh. It was um, gold line or something bullshit, and it had fucking South African Krugerans. Oh. And I was like, come on, man. How many, how many black people had to die for this one? <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> Anytime mm. South Africa this, you're like, oh no, yeah. that's bad. That's not what I would love to see. I know that uh, Five Nights at Freddy's movie's coming out. I want Elon Hello. Musk to do an ad campaign. He's so online, he'd probably do it. Mm. You know, Scott Cole from the uh, Five Nights at Freddy's he's guy a, is like a Trump Yeah, He's uh, a Trump guy. That's so, so That was so funny when that came out. All of his like, weird gay furry audience was pissed yeah. for those who don't know before he did that game he was like doing christian things about beavers and shit he's like a weird oh, furry right. who's also a conservative which makes no sense to me <laughs> now he's getting a 25 million dollar movie with fucking blumhouse yeah and uh i look forward to uh not watching that i would i would literally you have to pay me to go see it <laughs> i'm not even kidding no yeah. But uh, it's just, it's been so fun to watch, yeah, the, the cargo cult. And he's still leading the polls. That's the most insane part. You would think, well, obviously this has got, no, he's still fucking pulling ahead above everyone else. Which, uh, I mean, granted. I've, I've heard arguments that the mugshot has, like, increased his popularity with uh, his, like, personal polling number has been pretty much the exact same as it has been for like two years now since he left office. Only Republicans like him, everyone else either doesn't care or viscerally hates him. Yeah. And this mugshot, all it's done is like made his base more fucking rabid and then that's that. I, I feel like this is gonna end with violence because um, the trial will be- Oh yeah, fucking um, have you seen that uh, Tucker Carlson uh, interview? Oh fuck yeah, that, dude! Like, Trump's gonna get assassinated. Oh, you know? my favorite was he brought up Jeffrey Epstein, and <laughs> Tucker was pretty upset the fact that he seems to think he killed himself. He's like, "What do you mean you think he killed himself?" Well, I'm just saying, you know, he got caught, and well, he was in jail. I mean, granted, I feel like that's what Trump would do personally, and he's kind of putting himself in that situation. Yeah, that interview is fucking insane, and he also did that interview, with this was a while ago, but you showed me that one where he did with Tim Ballard, and how fucking funny is that? Tim Ballard, the supposed hero of the children and stopper of pedophiles, interviews a convicted sex offender. That's just... Yeah. Fucking hilarious. And it's nice that that uh, film has finally came over here. Normally in Britain, we don't get, uh, like, fringe American ships. That's usually, like, confined to red states in America, but we've got that here now. It's, it's great. It'll be very interesting to see how it actually performs there. I, it does play here in Toronto, but I don't actually know the numbers, because I don't trust any box office numbers from this movie. No. This is, like... This is the film equivalent when we get to the box office shit at the end of the year. It's going to have the New York Times dagger symbol next to it, where that's what they yeah. put out if they clearly know that if you got to the New York Times bestseller list and you got there by bulk buying books, as we've talked about. That's like whenever Glenn Beck brings out a new book and it hits the New York Times bestseller, and then you find out his company fucking like bought 100,000 copies. There's, a, there's like, so. a, like in his office, there's a fucking like room that's just used to house yeah. the... 250,000 copies of just in boxes that are gathering dust. So, we will be doing a Sound of Fury, whatever the fuck it's called, uh, episode probably next month because yeah. we have a 
our next episode all planned out, but um, stay tuned for that. Yep. But speaking of uh, insane people, um, the Republican uh, GOP debates were a few days ago. They weren't as spicy as I was hoping them to be, but there was some, uh, there was some good shit there. My favorite was everyone comparing Ron DeSantis to Homelander. We need to send Joe Biden back to his basement and reverse American decline. I showed it could be done in the state of Florida. I pledge to you as your president, we will get the job done and I will not let you down. Surprised it took them that long because if you've ever seen the boys where every time Homelander's out in public, he clearly wants to kill people. And Ron DeSantis had a moment and you, you kind of have to see it to understand it where he's like, I will not let you down. And then he just, he has this look, he's trying to smile and he can't do it. And it's, yeah. he clearly is regretting running for president. I think he's realized that. He hitched his wagon to the uh, terminally online 4chaners, and that's not worked out for him. And he's, you know, he's he's having buyer's remorse, and he just wants to go fucking home. He's coming like distant second to a convicted sex offender, which Fuck. is, uh, yeah. I, I, I can't remember who said it, but someone said he looks like he is one bad day away from having a career-ending outburst. He's gonna call someone the N-word out in public and that's it, it's over. He's an angry man, that's what I've taken. You have a lot of anger management problems. That was my takeaway yeah. from yeah. the guy. Yeah, we've talked about this before. He used to watch people get tortured like get more out of all those people running now. He's like an actual war criminal. He's by far the more yeah, he's like a actual war criminal. He's by far the more psychotic. Yeah. In uh, comparison to, um. Uh, Lord Vivek, uh, <laughs> who is running. Oh, um, what a fucking mess he is, yeah. Jesus Christ. Because I'd never heard of this guy until this debate. He, you know, we make fun of uh, Ron DeSantis being online. Vivek is way more fucking online. He's the kind of guy who browses 4chan and Reddit for talking points for his debate. That's what it came across. Because he's, he's saying, like, 9-11 was an inside job, yet you're running for presidency, which... I mean, if I believe 9-11's an inside job, I sure as shit wouldn't want to go anywhere near a government, but I guess I'm not a fucking grifter, so I ain't got that mindset. You genuinely believe that, like, Bush said 9-11, you should be hiding away in a compound somewhere, like, fucking having, like, watchtowers near your fucking yeah. private property. Or be an, be, expat and be an expat and just leave the U.S., you know? Yeah. Okay. Remember when uh, Trump was supposed to uh, release a fuck ton of 9-11 stuff and he just never did it? Yeah. It's like when Obama wanted to close Gitmo and never did it, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. These presidents make all these promises that never come to fruition. <laughs> it's, it's almost yeah. like it's a pattern of behavior, but... It's Still, my favorite uh, example of that is uh, Trump was in some like Cuban restaurant in Miami, and he's going food for everyone, and then he just walks away. <laughs> Stiffed the fucking bill like a fucking asshole. <laughs> so good. I kind of love that. I kind of love that because if I have that many sycophants, I would do that too. If I'm a fucked and up, and it fucking works, man. He can like he can do anything, and this Jim Jones cult will still love him. He literally fucking... said when he was running for president, "I could go out and shoot someone in Fifth Avenue, and people would still love me." But my people are so smart, and you know what else they say about my people? The polls. They say I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters. Okay, it's like incredible. <laughs> no, they say Trump. We love you too, man. 
And he's proven that correct. I have a feeling this is going to end like, uh, because it's a cult. I would say either like Waco or Um Shinrikyo, but it's going to end with blood and guns. I guarantee it. Some bad shit's going yeah. down this election. Joe Biden's going to drive a fucking tank through his house. And, uh, yeah. yeah. That or it's Om Shinrikyo where they commit such a horrible terrorist act, the government <laughs> has to intervene and stop this. It's uh, January 6th, but somebody like actually dies this time. Yeah. Uh, also, to, to get away from America for a little bit. Yuri Prigozhin, the hot dog king and leader of the uh, mercenary group that tried to coup the government, has been assassinated in the most likely assassination that has happened in recent memory. Uh, he was blown up on his way back from being exiled to Belarus, which... Okay, yeah, first not... of all, if I tried to kill my boss, I would flee the country and never go back. Why would you go back to Moscow? I hate when my uh, plane uh, randomly explodes uh, like a week after I tried to cure the government. That's, uh... It's so funny, because that, yeah. that other plane that was with him didn't go down, but that one did. It's almost like it was yeah. targeted, you know? Yes, yeah, uh... You said it before, but you you come for the king, you better. You have to, yeah, finish the job. Or uh, you you can make fun of uh, like Putin's mountain of blunders uh, in Ukraine all you want, but he still has the clout to fucking off people whenever he wants. He's been doing this for decades, so much blood on his hands, and just I just blown away that he thought he was safe. He was like, oh, I tried to kill my boss. Let me go back to fucking Russia. Why? Why would you do that? I'm not even like mad, it's your fault. No, I, this is, I'm victim blaming, but this is a situation where, yeah. come the fuck on, man. It's, it's the like, uh, like overconfidence you have of having like one of the most uh, successful fucking mercenary groups out there. Cause like fucking Wagner isn't just involved in Eastern Europe. No. They're all over Africa right now. Yeah. Fucking everywhere, man. They're what Blackwater was before they had to change their name, all that PR yeah. shit they had in Iraq. But my favorite fact is after his assassination, this is before his death was even confirmed, all of his mercs raided his house and stole everything. Because, mm -hmm. well, fuck it, the boss is dead. And that's the thing about mercenaries. There's no real loyalty in a mercenary group. You know, say what you want about military guys, but at least there's, like, camaraderie and brotherhood. In mercenary groups, you will, you will betray your entire battalion if you can get an extra 20 grand. Your life, to me, is worth $20,000. So... Goodbye. Yeah, even like a brief crumbs of history, entire battles have been lost because fucking mercenaries just decide to not even participate in the battle because it's going so bad. Wellington managed to defeat Napoleon because he had fucking like a bunch of German mercenaries by his side, and if, he want, if they weren't there, then he probably would have lost that battle, fucking man. Like, yeah, no, do you, you the, the, the reason why the like Russian front hasn't completely collapsed is because of Wagner like Russian elite forces and uh, because they're not there anymore like things are starting to go bad now so yeah I, I am I'm fully probably shouldn't have uh, killed his boss no know. I have a feeling that's gonna go not well with the guys who are because it's we've been waiting for the Russian military to just give up and I feel like this is gonna be a big turning point well shit none of us are safe why would we support this guy fuck yeah rush is pretty much guaranteed to lose this war eventually it's just a matter of when and i feel like that when's coming pretty soon yeah i'm looking forward to a nice uh, 1991 style work uh, 
or some fucking generals roll up with tanks and demands yeah. the uh, Soviet Union gets fucking brought back. Fuck it's yeah. gonna be great. Like I said, Putin will go off in hiding like the guy from Bosnia as a medicine man. It'll be it'll be fun. We'll have manhunt game. It'll be fun. Oh, by the way, real quick, uh, this is just a kind of tie everything together. I read this article. Apparently, Tucker Carlson has been trying to get an interview with Putin. Granted, you know, you're free from your employer, so mask off time. But I feel like getting anywhere near Putin at this point is just asking for trouble. Even if even if you're a fucking hardened supporter, no one's fucking safe from this guy. So I kind of hope it happens just to see Tucker Carlson. Like, maybe he'll go down the same way. It'll be quite a fun thing to watch. Yeah, he gets fucking uh, poison in his coffee a year later because yeah. he uh, asked the wrong questions. That's yeah. what I mean, yeah. You, and he has an ego and you don't fuck... You put two egomaniacs in a room, someone's going to get stabbed. That's just how it works, you know? He wants to just stick to uh, asking Trump about Epstein, mm-hmm. which is like... The fact that he's still getting asked about that is fucking funny. If you're a fucking on guy and the Ted pedophile dies under your president's watch, then what are you supposed to, like, take from that? I would say, um, like I said, the cognitive dissonance with QAnon is so fucking fascinating. We fight against pedophilia. Meanwhile, our fucking god king is a convicted sex offender. It's fascinating, and it's... We're not in a cult, you and I, so that mindset just doesn't connect with us but it is so fucking interesting it's just once QAnon's all said and done there will be books and documentaries that are going to be so compelling to read when all this is said and done so good they find like 30 of them like heaven's gate in a fucking beverly hills mansion all dead covered in like black coats and nikes they're like we have to figure out what the fuck happened here yeah, it'd be, uh, it'd be funny to see what the grand culmination of QAnon winds up being. I see but, uh, it. I see mass suicide. I'm not even kidding. That or uh, I see Waco or fucking Heaven's Gate, and that's not a good yeah, outcome. It's, a, it's just a uh, poison diet coke, mountains of fucking like empty uh, McDonald's cars. Instead of the Hail Bob Comet being the sign, it's Trump going to prison for X amount of years. Roger was brilliant at what he did, but I couldn't simply copy what he'd done. The movies have become somewhat pastiche. Before you go too long, you've you've become a parody of yourself. You've lost depth, you've lost texture, you've lost contradictions. You start to get shallow. What makes these movies work? What is it that got them going? You've got to go back to the beginning. Here was a hero who murdered in cold blood. Bam, 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 bam. The dirtiest, toughest, meanest, nastiest, brutalist hero we'd ever seen. This is what started those movies. Shocking. I wanted to bring people back to believing in this character, to bring my reality to it. I guess I've always liked a challenge. License to Kill, the 16th 007 adventure, is not the usual Bond dose of escapism. Instead, a tale of the nasty times we live in. Timothy wanted to get the job done. He was a man on a mission. It was the most violent Bond picture to date. Pushing the envelope all over the place. This is terrible. I can't bring my six and seven-year-olds to see Bond anymore. Well, it was never made for six and seven-year-olds. Speaking of uh, wars uh, not going very well, we're continuing our uh, soldiering into Bond. 
and uh, this will be interesting because we're all talking about two movies this time, which means we can actually like talk in depth about them instead of just like spending five minutes on them. Like- I, I would say the problem with the more ones was the quality was pretty. Yeah. The quality this one's a little more. One I think is better than the other, but that's not saying that the first one is not any any better. We're talking about the Dalton era now, so Roger Moore, after finding out that he was having having a sex scene with an actress where he was older than her mother said i gotta stop doing this shit now and officially hung the COVID up in 85 and during this time they were looking for a new bond and this is a very interesting period because they wanted brosden brosden was that's one of the reasons he got to do goldeneye was because the broccolis found him and they wanted him but he uh had a contract with this show remington steel and he couldn't get out of it so they had to unfortunately decline him. And then immediately afterwards, Revington Steel gets cancelled. And Brosnan is sort of wallowing during this period. He's forced to do shit like Taffin, which is uh, <laughs> one of the funniest action movies I've ever oh, seen. Oh, it's a great <laughs> Blu-ray by Kino Lauber, by the way. But like the most high-profile thing he did before Goldeneye was Mrs. Doubtfire. Hell yeah. That should tell you, like... Because that was the thing. He was the first pick, but uh, they ended up going with their second pick, Timothy Dalton, who... Um, yeah is an interesting guy because he is he's a bond that and his films as well it's a very divisive era for for fans of the series and it's easy to understand why because this was a big departure these two movies not just from like the tone of what the more films were but also the fact that the, these are the these are the two bond films where the british flavor because there's always been a heavy british flavor in these movies that that's where the british flavor is just gone it's all just like total 80s machismo American style action movie. Because this is when we brought this up when we were talking about View to a Kill. This is when Schwarzenegger and Stallone are the biggest movie stars in the world. Canon Films is running rampant, putting out like fucking Chuck Norris action movies. Which, by the way, just off topic, I think this is the funniest shit I ever read. Um, if you watch the Electric Boogaloo documentary, this is how big the American action machine was. Delta Force, the um, the G.I. Joe kind of fucking insane a hijacker movie that he did, it had a tuxedo premiere, a black tie champagne fucking movie premiere. I want you to imagine that. There are pictures that you can go see of people in tuxedos drinking champagne going to see a Chuck Norris film. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. I'm so, I hate to bring I hate to go off topic, but that is like but that's also an example of just how how strong this market was, not just for... It's a fucking... It's a canon magic, man. Canon's a bit of a meme now, but back in the, like, mid-80s... They were the huge companies. They were putting out... They, they fucking... They, made, they almost had a fucking Spider-Man movie, for God's sake. They, they, they managed to put out, like, half-decent action movies starring a old Charles Bronson. You gotta give him <laughs> yeah. some credit. But, yeah. yeah, but so it's clear that the, these movies were meant to capitalize on that. The two films we're talking about, Living Daylights and uh, License to Kill, and... They're very divisive because they are very not what has become before and even very not what's come after. It's it's so interesting, these movies in yeah, hindsight. They're, uh, I would say they're very much products of their time. Bond was having a pretty big identity crisis. We talked about it in our, um, our board episode. Half of those are just pastiches of Star Wars and fucking Enter the Dragon and shit. This is... Um, this is like peak action phase and fucking like license to kill in particular is basically just a Joel Silver movie. Yeah, that, that's my favorite is that just to do explain like these movies, they've been joke, they get jokingly called 
the Jill Silver Bond boobies because that's what they feel like. It's shocking how much there's no British in it. Like, the British flavor doesn't come back until Goldeneye. It's just hardcore fucking like they almost feel like american productions it's it's so fascinating how these films were made and how they were tailored together and especially license to kill when we get into that but dalton is is interesting as bond because he's probably the closest to the actual literary character especially in license to kill because it feels like with uh living daylights there's a lot of um he's struggling a little bit with the kind of because they're still trying to figure out what they want to do there's still a lot of jokey stuff because uh, we're going to talk about Living Daylights now. It was a, it was a big departure. Um, and John Glenn is back. And this is when John Glenn, we talked about in the last episode, but this is where he really gets full control and be, makes the movies he wanted to make when he was making them with more. He was a... And his direction in these movies, like, again, and he, they improve so much within these five movies. And this in particular, there's some fantastic action scenes in this movie. Plot is a little wonky, but... Um... Those fucking action scenes make up for him, man. The fucking, um, the scene where the, like, buff blonde Russian assassin is trying to airlift the defecting Soviet general back from the, uh, like, fancy-ass uh, mansion he's heading in is so fucking good. It's oh, so yeah. well shot. Oh, yeah, no, and the, the, that's the thing about this, too, is that this is one of those movies where the, the Cold War is in full swing. You can see a bit of it in the the later more films but now it's full-on red scare evil communist shit and it's the russians like in particular the um the, the first film's all about soviet scares and things like that there's a lot of it set in the soviet union he's about to assassinate that person playing the cello and there's a really cool fucking chase scene and there's that there's that weird sequence that always gets to me the big buff russian lady with black hair who like seduces a man and then knocks him out it's like mm -hmm. That's what I mean. The tone of this one is, it definitely feels like a trial run for License to Kill. Both films are technically about, like, drug smuggling. I hadn't seen, um, fucking, I haven't seen Loving Daylights for a while, and I forgot, like, the entire plot is, like, Joe Don Baker and, um, Jerome Crabb swap opium for diamonds, and then use that to, like, buy a bunch of high-tech weapons to use in Afghanistan. Okay, can you just buy the high-tech weapons, why do you need fucking... Yeah. Why do you need, like, a mountain of diamonds to do this? I, I, that's, <laughs> that's, kind of, that's always been the running theme I love about Bond movies, is for some reason diamonds are power everything, uh, which is... Why can't we just use batteries? Why do we have to use diamonds, guys? It just seems... Yeah, there's a reason why fucking uh, Die Another Day is the last diamond-driven <laughs> Bond, but we will uh, we'll get to oh, that. Oh, oh, we could do a whole episode on just that movie. It's such a fucking disaster, but, um, you know, Living Daylights is, uh, this is also, a, this is a kind of a golden age for Bond villains, too, as you brought up. Joe Don Baker is in this movie. He's not really revealed as the villain until the very end, but, like, what a fucking great pick for a Bond villain, Mr. Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker of, uh, Mitchell fame is, uh, the fucking one of the bad guys in this, uh, billion dollar Bond film. He plays, like, a fucking, uh wannabe general in this like fake Pinochet uniform and the way he dies a fucking bust of Wellington falls on yes. that's, uh, that's, that's some good shit these movies are so 80s this one in particular because a lot of this movie has to do with again the Russians but also helping the Mujahideen uh, which yeah remember that guys that that was kind of a meme at this point because that's one of the funniest parts about Rambo 3 which is the ultimate example of this where the famous title card uh brave mujahideen fighters of afghanistan it's aged like fucking milk but it's so 
it's so fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, the reason why this is our nine eleven episode is because um, all the brave Afghan fighters that Bond fights with at the end of this movie, a decade later, will go on to uh, fly planes into a bunch of buildings. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, maybe it's good gi- stuff. giving all these guys shitload of government help and money probably wasn't in the best interest of uh, everyone involved. Uh, but it's not. Nah, this is uh, like you can dab on the uh, Soviets for their failed invasion in the 80s, but yeah, giving legitimacy to guys like Bin Laden probably wasn't a good idea. I'm surprised Bin Laden didn't have a cameo in this. Because there's a lot. It's a very pro. The <laughs> fucking uh, Art Malik's character is basically Bin Laden. This like Oxford fucking educated rich guy. Who runs a fucking sect of the Mujahideen? And he is like, it's all fun and games when he's gunning down Russians, and then a decade later he's playing the fucking bad guy in True Lies. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, oh yeah, he is the bad guy in True Lies as well. Yeah, playing, playing pretty much the exact same character, but evil. He wants to make fucking, like, large chunks of America. That's fucking insane. That's, that's the funny part about Living Day. Like, License to Kill doesn't really have the problems I have with Living Day Lights, yeah. because again, this is when the Reagan presidency is still going well, and the war on drugs is still a big thing. That comes huge in License to Kill, but even though this is a British film, this feels very American. Right down yeah. to the politics and the way it's made. And- There's not a lot of actual, like, Britain in these two movies. It's mostly set in foreign countries. License to Kill was mostly set in fucking South America, yeah. which is uh, interesting. My favorite part of this movie as well is the uh, the insane action scene at the end where the fucking, they're hanging from a fucking plane, and it's, that's what I mean, mm. John Glenn's direction here is, these are easily two of, like, the best directed action scenes for Bond film, because they're hanging out this fucking plane, and I fucking love that one-liner that Tim Dalton says after the villain dies. What happened? He got the boot. Which is just <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. That's just... And then- it's nice when a self-serious Dalton drops more liners, I do enjoy that. Yeah, no, and that's the thing about this, this performance, too, is that it does feel a little... He's kind of struggling with this, because, again, there, there's a little bit of more humor in this than License to Kill, so he's... And his gruff personality doesn't really mesh with uh, the kind of jokey bits of the movie. In the middle, like I brought this up, in the middle of this serious thriller about getting defectors out of the KGB and assassinations, we have the fat Russian lady seducing a man and, like, mm. bear-hugging him out cold. It's it's weird. The jokes don't really land with the uh, Dalton movies, which is why there's not that many of them. No, I do enjoy not- um, Dalton as Bond. He's... Probably one of my favorites. He gave a um, pretty interesting interview, and I think it was like a month after License to Kill came out. And he said that like some mum came up to him and was like, Oh, I can't take my kids to see Bond movies anymore because they're too violent. And Dalton was like, You know, these are like not family movies, right? A bunch of fucking people die in these. That was partly why this run wasn't so long, is this this was divisive. These movies were, even by some people, they have a little bit of a better reputation now. When these came out, they were, they were, people were pissed at them. They were like, how, like, License to Kill, there were protests. That movie was so, was so violent. It was edited down from an R rating and just, it's it's crazy. It, it's unfortunate because I really did love this. I love this period of Bond because I just love the, like I said, I wasn't a big fan of the jokier more stuff, and I love how 
grimy and gritty these are because again it's more in line with the actual ian fleming books if you've ever read them like there's much more muscular type of bond and i enjoy that a lot as i said i haven't seen these movies for a while when i just had a much greater appreciation of them now, now that i've uh, re-watched them with uh, fresh eyes they're uh they're better than most people give them credit for. Honestly, Living Daylights is, again, I, we're kind of in and out. It's really is the the trial run for the movie yeah. that or I really want to see. Very uh, 80s movie. You have the fucking uh, Aha soundtrack. Oh, that's an that's amazing it. Bond theme. Uh, that Bond theme oh, fucking rocks. Uh, I, I kind of like it more than the License to Kill one. The License to Kill one's fucking good, but... Yeah, no, it's very 80s. It's it's solid. If you're a fan of 80s action movies, it's worth a watch, even if you're not a Bond fan. And just the shit with the Mujahideen is hilarious. Just all yeah. of the fuck. We really did think this wasn't going to go bad. Yeah, that's uh, American hubris for you. They'll find, they'll find the fucking worst guys out there and ammo dump like mountains of fucking guns and act surprised when they go hog later. We've got two options here. We could like let this play out, or we could dump a bunch of fucking ammo in these uh, religious cells. Let's uh, let's see how this plays out. No, it's um, also also John John Reese Davies is in this too. I just realized. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, he's the fucking head of the KGB in this. Yeah, he's the good Russian in this, as opposed to the uh, the evil Russians. He's always he was always that in every movie. Like he was the good. Uh, he was the good guy as well in Raiders. Like he's had a weird, he's had such a weird career because he's, you know, he's in Indiana Jones. Then he plays a fucking dwarf in Lord of the Rings, which is yeah. just I always find that funny as hell. This giant six foot fat man is playing a fucking dwarf. That's awesome. Yeah, and he's a uh, he's Welsh as well. Uh, good old John Rhys Davis and like most of his performances he's doing wacky accents yep. yeah ultimately it's uh yeah living daylights is a solid movie but yeah it's a trial run because the movie after that i'm gonna say right now this is my favorite of the entire series of all 22 oh, yeah. what are we at 23 or 22 movies uh god damn uh it, it feels like 28 and about this point yeah um yeah, Connery has about five more, has has like seven. Yeah, no, I think we're like at 25 of them at this point, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Um, but this is the one that I I return to it the most. It's the one I find the most compelling. Uh, it is License to Kill. This movie is fucking insane. It is just complete fucking 80s schlock through and through, and it's fantastic. Politically, this movie is also very interesting because well, Living Daylights is hardcore pro-Reagan bullshit. There's uh, a couple of lines about the conscious in this movie, yeah. which is really fucking funny. Uh, Benicio Del Toro's psycho twink who goes around cutting people up with a fucking, like, he's got a fucking, like, knife hidden away in his, yeah. uh, he's got a switch in his fucking sleeve. Yeah, he's got yeah, a switch He's like a ex-Contra guy who now works for a fucking drug king. That's what they all ended up uh, doing, though. Like, if the government yeah, fucked yeah. him, let's go work for Emmanuel Noriega. Fuck yeah, he's actually paying yeah. us. That's the thing about this movie, too, is that this is also this was made in 89, so the yeah, Reagan era is, was uh, coming to an end, uh, and it was people were starting to kind of sour. Like, usually by the end of a presidency, people begin to sour on said presidency. This happened with Obama, very famously, and Bush as yeah, well. Yeah, Reagan pretends to have Alzheimer's to get away with uh, to get away with fucking doing all that. Yeah. If Living Daylight is all about help the Mujahideen fuck the Russians, this movie is all about the war on drugs. Because this is the villain of this movie, 
is Robert Davi, who is Sanchez, and he's just an asshole drug lord. He's he's supportive, like I think he's based on Emmanuel Noriega, but he's not a particularly political figure like Emmanuel Noriega was. But he is amazing in this film. The the way he is introduced when they're at the motel, and he they, they he goes into the the room and he's like, "What did he promise you? His heart. Give her his heart." <laughs> And then they take this guy out and they fucking cut his chest open and he starts flogging the woman in bed. And that's like the first time you see this guy, you're like, this is a bad motherfucker. This is a dangerous man. I'd say he's more like Pablo Escobar. Yeah, like that's Escobar definitely. fucking, uh, he practically ran that country for his entire tenure and um, that's uh, Davies' deal. Like he's like, was it Ishmus he's based out of? Yeah. Um, which has like, which technically has a president, but he's completely in the pocket of this fucking, this drug kingpin. No, it's, uh, yeah, definitely Pablo is the big influence. And the other thing I love, the DEA gets a lot of viewing in this film. There's that picture uh -huh. I sent you. There's this amazing shot in the film, you have to see it to believe it. Felix Leiter getting out of the fucking helicopter with the tuxedo and the fucking flower and running in slow motion with two DEA agents. It is an insane shot. It is so fucking 80s and it's... That's what I mean. This movie is very much... The, the, the politics of this movie aside, th this is one of those like perfect 80s, absolute sheer excess action movies. There is so much crazy shit, like the slow-mo shots, and the, the the scene that gets me is when um, Felix Slider, they, they take him to the fucking aquarium, and he asks, Where's my wife? Don't worry. We gave her a nice honeymoon. I want you to know this is nothing personal. It's purely business. <laughs> and that is the darkest fucking moment of any of these movies. Because he doesn't say what they did, but the way he says it, you're like, oh, they did some bad shit to this woman. Oh, God. Yeah, then knowing what some of those uh, Contra guys go up to, yeah, it's like, It's yeah, fucking you, dark. You don't want to know. It's yeah. dark, and it's shocking the first time you see it, because, like, this is the first... This is probably the only time a Bond film has ever even went into the territory of sexual violence. It's... Yeah. That's what I mean. This movie is... Um, this is what John Glenn was building his entire career to. This is his... This is his masterpiece. He would have made an amazing Lethal Weapon sequel had Jill Silver picked him up. Like, fuck me. This is also uh, by far the most uh, violent Bond movie. Oh, in that scene, uh, you actually see Felix Slater's fucking leg getting bitten off by the shark, which uh, you haven't really seen up until that point. There's been like a bunch of shark deaths in Bond movies. It became like, like an obvious cliche over time. But you see there's blood everywhere, fucking limbs are just flying everywhere. It's so fucking it's good. It's brutal. Oh, One my. of the things I love about this too is that for those who don't know, the version that you can get, there's the MGM Blu-rays they put out. License to Kill, the version they put out is the uncut director's cut. It's technically the R-rated version. Yeah. The There's a very funny uh, TV edited version where like all the violence is like immediate cutaway. The funniest example is uh, Anthony Zerba's uh, head exploding. Yeah. The fucking. Uh, oh, like, that's. Um, 
That's a vicious. And the fucking decompression chamber. That is a and vicious death scene. for TV uh, version. It's like, yeah, immediate cutaway before that happens. Oh, that is a so fucking, fucking vicious death scene. Like, that's the scene that gets me because it's like body horror. It's full blown body horror. For those who don't know, we 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 talk. You know, decompression chambers. If you look how people die, what's left of them during decompression accidents? Oh, it's messy. It's fucking horrible. So, and they, also Del Toro's death as well is pretty oh, he gruesome. Gets Oh. That's one of my favorite deaths in any Bond movie. He gets chucked into the fucking coke grinder. And he's fucking so screaming as he's dragged in. Like, guttural scream. It's fucking horrifying. You're like, ah! like, oh my god. Like, it's vicious. It, and you can see the blood coming out of the fucking coke grinder. It's like, yeah. shit. <laughs> that is... This is a yeah. Yes. This is a vicious fucking movie. This is the one I could understand parents getting pissed at. Living <laughs> yeah. Daylights is not like Living Daylights has its moments, but this movie's straight up. It's an R-rated cut. That's the ver only version you can get now. Yeah, Living Daylights is fairly tame. Zero crabs, carrots, or cost golf like dies off screen, and then fucking Robert Davi gets fucking he gets set on fire and Fuck. blown up at the end. I love there's no uh, there's no one liner. That's the thing I love about. Dalton's performance in this movie, he is so much more, like, this is a much better performance because he's cold as fuck in this movie. He just sets him on fire. There's no one-liner, there's no, like, happy trails. He just sets him on fire and runs away. <laughs> and then the truck yeah. blows up. It's fucking great. Yeah, the one-liners are uh, mostly confined to the bad guy. Um, when fucking uh, Zerba's head explodes, one of his henchmen's like... I love that line. That's just like, because yeah, killing and to this guy is just like fucking filing taxes. It's so, and I love the way that uh, the, the stakes of this movie as well. This movie's pretty influential for Bond because the stakes of this movie are so personal. This is what I wish Quantum of Solace would have been like. Because mm -hmm. he, I love when a movie's like this where the stakes aren't about we need to save the world or stop terror. This is a personal vendetta because he goes to M and says, Fuck you, I'm out. I'm gonna go get vengeance. And I love the line. We're not a country club, 007. Effective immediately. Your license to kill is revoked. Farewell to arms. You can't just fucking walk away. That scene where he finds Felix just beaten up and the wife dead is so... You can see it in his face. He's like, fuck. I'm gonna kill all yeah. these sons of bitches. This is the first example of a Bond going rogue. His boss is like, look, dude, uh, we know your friend got murked. You can't just fucking disappear to Latin America to like, fuck shit up. There's fucking rules that come with that license to kill well, you. I, and and he, Bond is like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. It does kind of fall apart at the end because they give him his job back, which is like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't you commit multiple unsanctioned murders? It's, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. that's kind of, it does, yeah. The ending kind of peters up, and I also love the scene where they're in the they're in the goddamn uh, casino, and then Q shows up randomly. Really, 007? Q, what the hell are you doing here? I might have killed you. Well, I'm on leave. Thought I'd pop around and see how you're getting on. You all right? Yes, of course I'm all right. How'd you find me? Well, money, Penny. Of course, she worried sick about you. Which is weird as hell yeah. to see Q in this movie, considering like, there's uses of gadgetry and shit for a movie that's this violent and this personal. 
Well, all the gadgets are like fucking uh, the camera that turns into a sniper rifle. That was cool. So you still have all the like dumb shit, but it's in this over-the-top, gritty, violent action movie. It's so good. I love it. No, it's just, that's what I love too. It's just like, again, there is that, it's still technically a Bond movie, but it's shocking how violent this movie, because I have to stress how violent this fucking movie is, because it's, it's... Very uh, stacked cast as well. I hadn't seen this for a while when I forgot like half the people was in it. You've got fucking um, Everett McGill as yes. the shit-eating fucking rogue D guy who gets uh, oh. eaten by sharks oh. as well. That's my yeah. favorite one-liner in the movie. God, what a terrible waste of money. <laughs> That's so fucking good. Yeah, just yeah. good shit. Um, but yeah, Everett McGill. Um, but Del Toro was only... 22 when he did this movie he was a young guy oh, he's, yeah he's young man so that was like one of his first movies and then he goes on to just shot like um usual suspects in the night and then does that's... traffic and wins a fucking oscar yeah. like it's kind of wild oh, how yeah. much fast he blew up but yeah everett mcgill there's a bunch of 80s that guy actors they're kind of you don't know him by name but you've seen them in like again a lot of a lot of action movies from this period the small murderers row of character actors who showed up in this movie and it's God damn it. Just, and I love also the way that Bond, a lot of this movie is Bond just infiltrating this fucking drug empire. You did all right at the tables tonight. I had the feeling my luck was about to change. Well, it's a wise gambler who knows when his luck is run out. Why this? In my business, you prepare for the unexpected. And what business is that? I help people with problems. Problem solver. I'm more of a problem eliminator. That's such a fucking... Uh, also, I love this is the last film where Bond actually smokes on screen. Yeah, fuck, uh... I hadn't noticed that until I rewatched this. Bond's fucking smoking constantly. And then when you get to the Brosnan films, he, like, never touches a cigarette. Yeah. I think in, like, one movie he'll pretend to smoke a cigar, but that's it. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is, this very much is a swan song, not just to the old era of Bond, but like 80s action, because it's just the, the, That's why I like to think that these movies are like, for each actor, are self-contained, and uh, and License to Kill, you have a reference to, uh, to Bond's former wife. Anybody. Like yeah. fucking, um, same for Roger Moore as well, or he was just married to, like, some random person. Yeah. Because that's, that's the only reason these movies make sense. Fucking yeah. They're, they're all just different iterations of the 007 codename, you know, just different people. Yeah. But I, I do love it. Again, it's so fucking funny how the, the, the odd duck of the series is, we talked about this in a view, Europe for your eyes only, it's creeping back in. Yeah, but uh, no, it's that's that's our that will be the end of this retrospective. We will talk about that movie because it will come full circle. But it's just a fucking. There's just so much fucking crazy shit in this goddamn movie. Like that truck chase at the end too is just ah oh, so good. Fucking when nuts. When he throws out the fucking uh, stinger missile and Bond has to like do a fucking uh, oh a like will later. He does like it. Fast and Furious type shit. Like <laughs> like it really is over the top. As fuck. That's one of the things I love about this movie too is that. 
it's this violent movie and it has these absolutely fucking massive set pieces people jumping oh, out of great sets yeah fucking, fucking uh, jumping at win a... Newton's uh, oh. like, giant fucking like cult building fucking Wayne Newton's this, uh, like, rolling... site. Wayne yeah. Newton's performance I love this character because he's like for your help God will help us for it. you got the guy <laughs> writing on the cue card twenty thousand uh, yeah. dollars oh, he's fucking uh what a great casting choice to have Wayne Newton play an asshole televangelist. Perfect casting choice. Western New Vegas, yeah. great cast. Oh, it's great fucking cast. perfect. Oh, there's also some other great cast. I'm reading it now. Kerry uh, Takawa's in this. For those who don't know that name, he is Shang Soon from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, and uh, Tawasa Soul uh, Katana is also in this. Yeah. It's like a... Like a prototype to Mortal Kombat. What the fuck? There's two fucking Mortal Kombat. <laughs> That's weird as fuck. Before he was big in America, he did The Last Emperor, which was Bernardo Bertolucci, this very um, yeah, this, prestigious... Yeah, this massive prestige Oscar movie. And now he's... And then, like, he, later on, he's, he's doing shit like Showdown and uh, Little, Little Tokyo. Tokyo. He's the bad guy in that. Rising Sun, the Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes <laughs> buddy cop movie. Yeah, he's eating sushi off. Uh, oh, David Warren's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would do uh, that too if I had that option. Like, fuck prestige dramas or genre shit. I'm gonna do genre shit. Genre shit, hell yeah. Fuck yeah, but um, uh, but no, it's just there's just so much crazy, fucking amazing set piece action in this. The they jump out of planes. Also, ninjas show up. How eighties is this fucking yeah. movie? Ninjas in cocaine. Fuck yeah. It's got the most serious plot of any of the Bond movies, but it has Ninja. it still has like. Graphic, like incredibly goofy shit. I love it. That's, but it, I think it works better here than in Living Dead because this movie is the, the the it's so over the top with how gritty and violent it is that all the insane shit I just think works. The deaths, the there the, there's the insane set piece where they're fucking hanging out of a plane, all the money's falling out. The music's also pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, so uh, the, Loving Daylight says uh, John Barry's yeah. last score. So score Michael, K that's the thing. Yeah. That's another reason this gets called Joel Silver's Bond. Michael Kamen came in to compose this. For those who don't know, Michael Kamen was um, he was the composer for Lethal Weapon, Last Boy Scout. He was the go-to 80s uh, action movie composer. License to Cow has a video like 80s soundtrack to it. Oh, it's got um, Gladys Knight doing the theme. A great fucking Bond theme too. She kills mm -hmm. it. Gladys Knight's fantastic. Gladys Knight's just fantastic in general, but this is also funny because this is the only Bond film, at least one of the few ones, that's an original script. This isn't based on any pre-existing uh, titles of yeah, anything. Yeah, this is when um, the fucking studio starts running out of Bond books, so they have to basically invent prop, like, plots fucking full hand. Um, Loving Daylights is based on a short story. Basically, the entire book is the opening of the movie. Bond has to fucking protect a defecting Soviet general from an assassin. And then the rest is entirely made up. But his license to kill is, um... The, the, the Felix Leiter stuff is from uh, Love and Light Die. It's fucking Mr. Big that feeds him to sharks and that. Uh, and the rest as well is, um, is completely made up. Every movie after that is basically like, yeah, we come up with original scripts now. Yeah, so no, it's... We've run out of books. It, it gets a little more um, egregious later on when we get yeah. to... Um, when, we, when we get to the fucking Craig era, one of those movies didn't even have a finished script, which is yeah. telling, but... Uh, yeah, it's... Remember the writer's strike, folks? Yeah, Remember right. when, uh, yeah. yeah. That's not going to affect <laughs> oh, any God. movie that's getting made now. Yeah. I'm sure that yeah. 
Twisters movie, that shitty Twister sequel, isn't going to get affected by a fucking year-long writer's strike. Jesus fuck. Yeah, I look forward to that never coming out. I look forward to Universal uh... blowing $200 million on a bomb. That's going to be awesome. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at my uh, local cinema listings now. You could tell the fucking dry period is starting to set in because Lars von Schier's Melancholia is getting uh, shown again as like a like quote-unquote special screening for some reason and it's like fuck man how how bad are things are when you have to like bust out the fucking or the bunch of shit that's why sound of freedom will be playing near you well fuck it <laughs> i'm sure jim caviezel fucking beating up pedophiles in the jungle will get someone out to the theater yeah fuck it i mean fuck it if there's nothing else i'll go see it fuck it but yeah. it's uh no no that I, I will be seeing Melancholia, and I have, I've had the choice between, like, esoteric Kirsten uh, Dunst movie or fucking the QAnon movie. I'll be yeah, going I, I, will, the, uh, I will give... Sure, uh, I would rather be in a room with Lars von Trier than any QAnon. <laughs> I'm not even... At uh, least... To, to be a fucking fly in the wall of that cans interview, man. Oh, oh man. Did... I really wanted to be a Jew, and, I, and then I found out that I was really a Nazi. You know... Uh, because my family was German, Hartmann, which also gave me some pleasure. <laughs> so I'm kind of a, yeah. Sir. I, 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 what can I say? Um, I, I understand Hitler. That's also sad because it's my favorite Von Trier movie because it's the one that's... Oh, it's, it's by far the best. It's the one so that's like actually sympathetic towards its characters and mm-hmm. it, it isn't just... I mean, it's depressing as shit, but like, if you've ever had depression, that movie, it, yeah. it hits you in a way that no other movie like it does. It's it's a powerful piece of fucking work. I don't know what your uh, walkable cinema is looking like, but... Uh, um, not great. Yeah. Uh, we're getting mainland Chinese movies now. We got a movie called... <laughs> Yeah, we got a movie called Raid on Lethal Zone, which is, um, it looks like a fucking YouTube video. They got a theatrical release, not good. That, that sounds like those gone arcade cabinets, like Time Crisis Raid on fucking, uh, Raid and Danger Zone or some shit. I, I will say this right now, it looks like it. Because it's, like, set during a rainstorm <laughs> and it's a bunch of, like, soldiers fighting drug dealers in the jungle. I love that shit. It looks, it looks... I'll say this, I'd rather go see it than cape shit. I hate to say that. I'm that kind of guy. I'm like, well, I'll go see the mainland gun movie. Fuck it, over Blue Beetle. It's so funny how um, Chinese cinema is making what American cinema used to be. Like, they're just making these big, grungy, gruff military action movies, and America is just in a complete creative hole now. Yeah, it's going to be fun watching uh, China for the voyage, now that fucking Hollywood's in its dying phase. Yeah. That'd be Dan Crenshaw's next thing. We're going to go from TikTok to um, uh, Chinese are stealing all our uh, Hollywood airspace. We need to uh, we need to beef up the Cold War against yeah, them. We need, to, uh, we need to make our own versions of Raid on Lethal Zone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry to go on the tangent, everyone, but it's so funny yeah. to... That's- Really? This is uh, somewhat relevant because um, the reason why we only get um, two Dalton movies yes. is because fucking... Um, this movie didn't do yeah, hot. The, the whole... Uh, I, I made money, but it was yeah, like, I know yeah, we have... Um, we need to park this for a while to figure out what we're doing. Yeah, and I mean, there is a... Um, there is an actual script for a first Dalton movie out there, which you can read. It's actually which is about all about the um 
like Hong Kong um, handover. Yeah, which actually would have been interesting. That's such a weird period for politics. There's a couple films that do that. You got Chinese Box and you've got Red Corner, but uh, there's not a really a, a go-to movie about the '97 handover and how fucked up that was. Because people people thought the world was going to end over there. I think they wanted Anthony Hopkins to play the villain while they were in like a various stage of production. During... Yeah, he's going to play some like uh, tech bad guy that was going to like bomb the fucking hand like the uh, handover ceremony, which is uh, yeah. which would be interesting. He almost played the bad guy in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. He's going to be Jonathan Price's character. Ooh, but, um, that would have been fun. Yeah, that would have been. That would have been, yeah. especially that's a peak period of Hopkins uh, where he just he's not chill anymore. After Silence <laughs> of the Lambs, he's like really gets he really can get over the top. Like if you see fucking Hannibal. He is on fucking another level in that yeah. movie. It's awesome to watch. It, it did well, it, it, but it did. It's the lowest grossing film in the series, and I, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, "How dare this movie?" Not, I can understand why this movie wasn't successful because this is a hard sell to an established audience. You go to a Bond movie, and you're introduced to the most extreme, violent, one of the most violent '80s action movies ever made. It's yeah, you're watching fucking people's heads explode, yeah. and it's like, yeah, uh, what happened to Roger Moore one-liners? Uh. Yeah, it's it's what happened to No Time to Die when we get into that. The esotericism of that, even though it makes it interesting, the things that make it interesting are the reason that it wasn't successful. And then, unfortunately, Dalton would end up after two movies. But I'll say this, pretty solid two-film run. He's easily the most, in sheer numbers, he's probably the most consistent Bond actor in terms of quality. Yeah. And he had a very, uh, unlike some of the other actors, he had a very good uh, post-Bond career. He yeah. does um, The Rocketeer in the 90s, oh, basically yeah. playing a Bond film. He's, yeah, yeah. He, he, gets to, he graduates from Bond to Bondville. And that's always been a very underrated movie. Oh. I love that movie. Superhero movies are just starting up, so there's a lot of weird experimental stuff. Very pulpy. Joe Johnson is also just great at replicating that old period. It's just... And then he ends up, he did a lot of work on uh, the stage as well. Like, he does a lot of Shakespeare stuff on stage yeah. as well. Which is and you could tell watching his movies, he is a very uh, theatrical act. actor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my, my favorite Dalton performance to this day will always be Hot Fuzz. And that Hell movie yes. is fucking, that shot of him, that would probably just, be, we're going to use that as a thumbnail. That's the shot <laughs> where he is fucking standing in front of the post picture of himself is just, Fuck, Edgar Wright knew exactly how to use the yeah. how to use him as an actor. He just kills that fucking movie so good. I'm looking at here. He's also in Looney Tunes back in action. He's playing Brendan yeah, Fraser's he's, he's dad. James Bond. Yeah, yeah. He's playing Brendan Fraser's dad, which you can't get uh, more fucking bullshit. You're his father. I actually watched that recently, and fucking what a weird movie that is. That is fucking a Joe Dante. Man. Joe Dante hated everything about that movie. I don't blame <laughs> yeah. him. That movie's not yeah. good. It's so funny because that movie was actually built from the bones of like failed Space Jam projects. Yeah. Like they had like Spy Jam, which was one they had with uh, Jackie Chan. They had one with Tiger Woods was going to be one. They were going to do like, Golf Jam. This is completely off topic, but this shit made me laugh so hard. I've been reading. A bunch of stuff about that and one of the text messages he sent to his um mistress was i will wear you out i want you to imagine that being said by an uncharismatic tiger woods i will mm -hmm. wear you out <laughs> the most yeah. unsexy sexting you will ever hear in your life there's genuinely nothing funnier than failed sex messages to, to wrap this episode up time has been more kind to these films there's been a lot of uh, retrospective reviews it's it's, it's definitely out there 
but it's easily one of the more compelling Bond films from a pure from a pure narrative perspective and a filmmaking perspective. This is easily one of the most compelling Bond films, I think, because the stakes are so personal and the action is just so fucking good in this movie. And it still holds up, I think, as a as a movie. I mean, we've seen it once ago as the bear of the two movies, but they are very good. Yeah, movies. no, no, we, we, we definitely been given our, we've been given our love to License to Kill, but Living Daylights is definitely yeah. worth a watch. As I, opposed to the uh, Brosnan movies, which are very... Uh, oh, no, that, we that, get to that... When we get to that, it's like a fucking... It's like the um, the Price is Right uh, game show thing, <laughs> where it's going up and up, you hit the top, and then it fucking falls right down. Uh, it's just a fucking disaster it starts so strong and then it fizzles out so fast yeah. it's fucking yeah. dark but uh but yeah, yeah no, we won't be doing that for a while yeah. uh, and our next episode we'll be uh reverting back to uh video games so uh yes. join us next time yep, for but, um for that yep uh but anyway yep uh, so everyone have fun summer's over but uh things are coming god help us all well-trained actor, and, and you're backstage with all these animals. Is everything okay? Yeah, as long as you don't wear vanilla. Vanilla, what does vanilla. that mean? Only, I know about horses. I don't know about snakes or anything like that. Right. I remember making a show once with horses, and the leading lady had given me a little present of some eau de cologne that smelt of vanilla. Mm -hmm. And we were playing this scene, and the horse was nuzzling, nuzzling. Mm -hmm. And you just push it away and carry on with your lines. And then it started rearing up. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly noticed that everybody that was watching this scene was laughing. And I looked around. I don't know what you can say on television. You can say How everything. would we just you had describe a, we a horse? We just had A-hole Ronald How come in. How would you describe you... a horse that was excited? It, it, was, a, it was in a state it of... It was a... Um, a horse, yeah. That's yes. A, a hard thing to describe. Horse. Very excited, hard yeah, to describe. Okay. Excited horse.